That was wonderful. Thank you, Melody. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have just come through our latest round of discipler training. If you're watching online, we have a ministry here, and it's we do one-on-one discipleship. We teach people how to teach others the Word of God, and it's an organized ministry that we have here. And uh, we've had almost 100 adults. We have almost 100 adults right now who've been trained to disciple someone else. But this last group just came through, and it's amazing. Every one of them made it all the way through, finished the work, and just so thankful and, and encouraged by this last group of disciplers. But this text is, any of you who have been through discipleship training or heard us speak on discipleship, this is a text that we always use for it. But I couldn't help but think about Father's Day as I read this passage. So let's, let's read this text. We're going to pray. And then let's just talk about what we can learn from it. So let's start reading in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves, second, or I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians, sorry folks. I am the worst, I know. Tim Hawkins would say it is the worst. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. So they came with a purpose. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, he was beaten and imprisoned, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So in the middle of a lot of struggle, they preached the truth. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly And unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Lord, help us as we study this text. And Lord, what an amazing admonition it is for us fathers. And Lord, wherever we are, whether we are grandparents or whether we are new fathers. There's so much truth that we can get from this text. Please help us and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so wonderful to look out here. I see gray hairs and gray beards whose children are grown, and now they have grandchildren. Some of you have great-grandchildren. And then I see others of you with, with tiny babies in your hands, and that you're, you're just at the beginning of what it means to be a father. And, of course, we live in a time where fatherhood is really diminished. 
that th- th- this idea that of, of toxic masculinity. How many of you think there's really too much masculinity in the world? I, I had my Apple Music on this morning or Amazon Music, whatever it was, and they had a Christian playlist. So I hit the Christian playlist, and the first three guys, there was it sounded. I pray for you, my father. Uh, will you be my friend? I just want to be like daddy. I want to lay on the ground and start flopping around, you know, going to convulsions. What in the world has happened to Christianity that men, I'll just say it, they sound like queers or something. I... I can't take it. It's Pride Month. (laughs) How many of you know Pride's a sin? Especially that one. Men, don't be embarrassed to be a man. You're not supposed to be a woman. When your wife tells you you're insensitive... Just look at her and say, shut up, woman, I'm a man. <laughs> I'm so, Justin's in the nursery or something. That one, that one could come back to bite me right there. <laughs> Don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. But ladies, understand, he's a man. Men are often insensitive. Why? God made us that way. So that we can stand, as Jordan Peterson says, the tragedy of life. If men were too sensitive, we'd never make it through this fallen world. If we were too sensitive, we'd all be musicians. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Maureen, no, that's not true. No, I love musicians. I love music. But the hypersensitivity of our culture, it's just, it's gone way too far. And so I want to encourage you men today. Now, I didn't preach a Mother's Day sermon this week. I, I wanted to keep going, in, or this, this year, I, I wanted to keep going in the book of Acts. But as I was doing our discipler training, and I, I say it in discipler training every time, that if we will just listen to what God says about how to make disciples, we'll be better dads. And so I wanted to communicate some of that today. As I was preparing this message, I looked back over, uh, when I've preached a text before, I'll look back at what I've preached on it before, And I preached a sermon on this text on Father's Day in 2002. And it was so fun to look at what I had said there and how I still have these same desires today. The first thing that I want you to see is my dream for my children. My dream. Of course, John said in 3 John 1.4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So here was my dream for my children that I wrote in 2002, that they will be saved to know that they are loved and accepted, to know that their father loves God, that their father loves their mother unconditionally. Men, if you will love their mother 
and let them know they love that you loved their mother first. That will help them so much. If your children will know that their mother is more important to you than they are, that will help them. See, I want my son to love his wife more than his children. Why? Because it puts the order right in the home. Amen? And of course, to love the Lord first. So that they will be saved, that they will know that they're loved and accepted. To know that their father loves God, that their father loves their mother unconditionally. That they will grow up knowing God. See, it's so much more important. We, we bring our kids to church. We want them to know truths from the Bible. But the truths from the Bible are all about teaching them to know God. We want them, I read into you little children that you might know that your sins are forgiven. I read into you young men that you, where you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you fathers, for you've known him that is from the beginning, 1 John chapter 2. That, that's the goal. We want them to be saved, to know that their sins are forgiven. But ultimately, my goal is that my children know God. That they will understand the priority of the Lord's house. That they will know how to work. That they will live in a free country. This is my dream for my kids, 2002. That they will have the opportunity to become whatever it is that God wants them to be. That they will understand the importance of little things. That if the Lord doesn't return, that they will find godly spouses. You know, the good news is God has answered all of those requests. Now, we are less free than we were. But that's my dream for my children and those of you that have tiny children, I'm sure those are the same dreams that you have. For our grandkids, that's the dream. Those are the dreams, those same dreams that we have for our grandkids. So my dream, my dream. But of course, when you have a dream, there's also a fear. What is my fear? So 2002, that my children will not know how important they are to me. You know, we men, when we are especially establishing our careers and establishing our lives, in the early days of our careers, for me, that's, you know, 2002, we'd been here at Grace Baptist for about five years. That's, the, that's really the beginning of our work here. The, the amount of investment it takes for any man to begin a career, the, the, the drive that you have, and you have that balancing of priorities. I, 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 my fear was that my children might not know how important they are to me. Number two, here's my fear, that they will resent the ministry because of my schedule. That, that, that was my fear. And as they have grown, there's, there's a little bit of that that has happened. My fear that they will not have the freedom that we had in 2002. And that fear has been realized. That they will... My fear, that they will look at other Christians' lives and become discouraged. I remember my children as they were small, when they would see that people in the church that they thought were holy and were Christians and had Christian homes. I, I remember the disappointment in them when they found out that those people were not holy, that they did not love the Lord. 
that sometimes they leave and try to hurt the Lord's work and hurt us. And my prayer was that they would not be discouraged by that or be jaded by that. My father was a pastor, and he took over a church in uh, upstate New York, in Johnstown, New York, that had been an American Baptist church, like First Baptist downtown. And the, the, the church had been taken out of the American Baptist Convention. But a lot of those ideas and the people that wanted to stay were still in the church. And it was a nightmare. The way they treated my father, the way they treated us, it was horrible. My junior year of high school, my brother's senior year of high school. And it affected my brother in a profound way. In such a way that he's never really been in church since then. Loves the Lord, he's saved. But the way that Christians behaved, my brother had a motorcycle, the church had a bus barn. My brother was in working on his motorcycle in the bus barn. And one of the deacons came and ran him out with a, with a large pipe wrench. Senior in high school, my brother. The way that Christians behaved, it affected him. I'm so thankful that you all, as a pastor here, have always been so kind to my children. We've never experienced anything like that. But that kind of behavior, it affected my brother in a profound way. So my prayer for my children is that they wouldn't be affected by unfaithful Christians in our church. And let me say this. These guys here, they're looking at you. So 10 years from now, are you going to be an encouragement to them or are you going to be a discouragement to them? Your attitudes, the way that you talk to them, the, the way that you talk to other believers, the way that you, that you interact in the work of the Lord, are you going to be an encouragement or a discouragement? No. We're, guys, again, because we're not as sensitive as maybe we ought to be, or, or whatever, we're going to make mistakes in that. Somebody might see us get mad at somebody or, or speak harshly to somebody, but that should not be the pattern of our lives. My dream for my kids. The last fear that I have listed here is that they will not respect my Christianity. My fear is that my children would not respect my Christianity. Dads, let me just, this might just seem obvious, but I, I feel like I need to say it out loud. Your children don't expect you to be perfect. And that's good, right? Because we're not going to be. But they ought to expect you to be Christian. That your Christianity is true. That your Christianity is real. One of the things that, that Laura and I attempted to do with our children is what you guys see here is exactly what they saw at home. The way that we talk, the way that I talk up here, it's exactly the way that we talk at home. Now, of course, there are limits. There are things that are proper in a, in a certain setting that wouldn't be proper on the platform at church. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But if, if I say something here, it needs to be the same as at home. Now, how many of you, be honest, how many of you expect that for your pastor? You expect that. But should we expect that from our deacons? Our disciplers? Our Sunday? How about every man in the church? Every man in the church. We're going to mess up. You know, you get mad and your kids see you cuss or something. That may happen. But you need to go back to them and say, guys, this isn't the way that we ought to live. 
right? Your kids don't expect you to be perfect, but they expect you, and they have, they do have the right to expect you to be consistent. Why? Because you're a man. And men do hard things. What's hard? Being consistent. That's difficult. That's who, are we, that's who we are supposed to be. My dream. My fear. So what can I do to see my dreams fulfilled and my fears how, what can I do to keep those fears from being realized? Not a lot I can do about the free country. But my Christianity, the way they're affected by the Christianity of others, by the way that I love their mother, what can I do about those? My dream, my fear. Men, here's, a, here's our pledge. We men, we Christian men, our pledge is here in this text. We need to be the kind of father that Paul uses as an illustration. So look at verse 11, the end of the verse, as a father doth his children. As a father doth his children. So he gives some some characteristics of what is expected of a father. Understand, though, we live in a time, and I actually wrote this in my notes in 2002. There are a lot of people that never experienced a good father. They never had a good father. I'm so thankful that I did. Dad wasn't perfect, but he was my hero. Big, strong bull of a man. My dad could do anything. I walked into his shop. He had a furniture repair shop. Do you know what it means to cane a chair? That's where you're, the, the weaving of a chair. That's a skill. It's actually very difficult to do. I walked into the shop. I was in college. I walked into the shop, and Dad's caning a chair. I said, where'd you learn to do that? He said, I never did. He just did it. He, was, he needed to build a shop. He was planting a church in Wallingford, Connecticut. And so he was going to build a garage onto our house, and he couldn't afford to have it done. So he went and watched a, a bricklayer, a guy laying block. Just watched him. Then came back and built the garage. Laid the block. Built the whole thing himself. Dad could do anything. My father could have sung opera for any opera company in the world. An amazing voice. He studied chemical engineering. He could do drafting. He was an artist. He could sing. He could preach. He was an expository preacher. He taught me the word. I'm just telling you, my father could do everything. And yet, he was disabled by depression. How many of you can see all of that going along with depression? Isn't it amazing how that works? And there were day, there were weeks. We'd see Dad would be on the couch for a week, and we, we're kids. We didn't know. He didn't want us to talk to him. We didn't know what was going on. Now I understand it was horrible depression. With all of that, my dad was a wonderful father. I don't know what it would be like not to have a good father. Some of you, that's your experience. 
And the thing that I've said over and over again, I didn't make it up. Others have said it before me. You might not have had a good father, but you can be one. How are you going to be that? By these things that the Bible tells us right here. So here are some things that we can do to be the father that God wants us to be, even though we might not have experienced that ourselves. Let's look at it. My pledge. In order to see my dreams realized and my fears dissuaded, there are some things that I need to do. I need to set a pattern. And the first is a pattern of responsibility. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. My father demonstrated hard work. I tried to demonstrate hard work to my children. You men, you're the hardest working people I have ever seen. You are demonstrating hard work. That's a pattern of responsibility. I do believe, though, that in in the, in the several generations since I was a child, the pattern of responsibility, I think, has changed. Many of you men are demonstrating, you are patterning, responsibility to your children, but you're not requiring responsibility and work from them. I remember uh, Nathan Reinick, he came to our house. My kids were outside. You know, hedge apples, you know, hedge apples are those things that people think keep spiders away. It's so funny. People stop and ask if they could take them. Please take them because they thought if they put them around the house, it would keep spiders away from them. But it's so funny. I'd walk out in the yard and there's spiders crawling on them. I don't think it works. But my kids were picking those up. And Nathan said, oh, that's cute. You give them a nickel apiece or something. I said, no, they get to live here. Amen? See, I, I, I fear, there's no doubt. I don't know any lazy men in this church. You are patterning hard work, but are you teaching it and requiring it? Are you teaching your young men to do hard things? Are you teaching your daughters to do hard things? So what, did, what, what is Paul saying he did as a father? Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Labor and travail, that sounds like the same thing. No, no, it's hard work and it's really hard work that is painful. All right, you ladies understand travail. But it's using this word in, you know, you travail in labor, you travail in birth. Here it's using it for the way that that a father, a father needs to do hard things. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. See, sometimes fathers can, we, we can regret the long hours of labor that it takes. Let me tell you, it wasn't until Henry Ford that we had an eight day or an eight hour work day. Throughout all history, men worked from light until dark. Now, praise God, you might not have to do that. How many of you are thankful that sometimes you you don't have to do that? Praise God for that. And yet, when you do, don't regret that. That's a model of labor and discipline that you are giving to your children. But laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. You know, it's good when children take care of their parents in their old age. Amen? But we ought to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
Now, I sent my kids to college, and I'm telling them that it's their responsibility to care for me in my old age. And so whenever I do something that Jacob doesn't like, he said, Dad, he says, Dad, nursing home just went down a notch. It just... Oh, you know when you're a jerk, you raise jerks. Have you ever noticed that? When I call Jacob, the picture that comes up for me on his phone is Kim (laughs) Jong-un. Oh, man. But not only did he provide for them through hard labor, verse 9, if you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, look at what it says. We preached unto you the gospel of God. What was his pattern? Labor and preaching. Labor and preaching. What should your pattern be? Labor and preaching. Preach to your kids. You are the pastor of the home. Preach to your kids. Preach to them. The word preaching, it's, it's the, you know, I don't quote Greek a whole lot in here, but it's from the Greek word keruso, which means like a herald, to, to shout, to proclaim, to, to, to make sure they hear you. And how do we do that as dads? Listen to me. <laughs> That's how you do it. I was uh, preaching in Michigan this past week. Thanks for praying for that meeting. It went very well. And they, they, the pastor there, they've adopted four children. The one boy, six years old, just full of energy all over the place, just a precious kid. But I was setting up some of my Bible display, and he was being goofy around it. And that's not okay. And so I said, I'm trying to think of his, what's his name? Uh... Theo, which is a cool name, by the way. I said, Theo, don't fool around up here. And he did it again. And so I said, Theo, and I I got his head. And he kept trying, and I'd make him look at me. You can't fool around right here. Do you hear me? His dad was standing there. And his dad's a monster, so I'm glad his dad didn't, you know, a massive man. I'm glad he didn't, this didn't bother him. Theo, you, you can't fool around here. What am I doing? I was making sure he heard me, right? All this goofy stuff that I do when I'm preaching. I could stand here and I could read a sermon and half of you would go to sleep. A lot of my my stuff is just my personality. It's the way that I would move and do things anyway. But a lot of what I do, I want you guys to hear me. So what did I just do? <laughs> deputy dog. I remember deputy dog. That's what I'm starting to look like. It... <laughs> what are you going to do with your kids? You're going to preach to them. And you're going to make sure they hear you. That's, that's my pledge to my kids. I'm going to set a pattern of responsibility, but not only a pattern of responsibility... A pattern of integrity. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses. Your kids are witnesses of what you are, right? You're witnesses, and God also, look at how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So he was holy. That's his personal purity. That's his personal purity. Are you modeling holiness for your children. Some of you, your father did not model that for you. He modeled hard work. He modeled loving your, you know, your mother, but he didn't model holiness. You need to model holiness for your children. What is holiness? Well, you're, you're spiritual. 
you're like God. You're different from the other dads that they know because of your commitment to the Lord and his word. That's, that's personal purity. But then look at not only that, but verse 10, your witnesses and God also how holy and justly. So the holiness, that's, that's personal purity. This justice is personal integrity. So my kids know I'm going to get the best deal that I can. I'm going to spend as little on a car as I can get away with. I'm going to, you know, whatever, I'm going to find the best way to get the most out of my money. I'm going to stretch that, but I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. If, if, I'm, if I'm not charged for something, we're going to go back and pay for that. We're going to teach justice. That's personal purity and personal integrity. Um, I, one time with some buddies, there was a, a work shed by the park where we'd play ball, and we wanted to see what was in it, and we ended up tearing open some of the steel on the side of the steel building. Why? Because we were young men, and we were idiots. Well, nobody knew we had done it, but I told my father, because I'm being cool. I'm being big. Well, dad went and told him, and dad went and fixed the, the barn or whatever it was. What did I learn? Well, and, and there, was a, there was an in-between step. Can you imagine what that in-between step was? <laughs> I learned my dad had personal integrity. When dad would say, remember your name, that meant something to him. Personal integrity, personal purity, holily and justly. But then, look at this, this last one is so good. Your witnesses and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably. What is this? So personal purity, personal integrity, and public accountability. Public accountability. You, if someone says something about you, people who don't know you might believe it, but no one who knows you ought to be able to believe it. Why? Because it, it would go against everything they know about you because you have lived unblameably. And your children need to see that. Christians are supposed to be blameless and harmless as they live in this world. Philippians 2.15. So my, my pledge, this pattern of integrity, a pattern of responsibility. So how am I going to do that? So I can, have, I can pledge to do something. I can have a desire to do something. But what is my plan to accomplish it? That is here for us in the text. So my dreams... My fears, my pledge to be this man, how am I going to live it out? Well, that's my plan. Look at what it says in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So what is my plan? John Wesley said, by exhorting, we are moved to do a thing willingly. By comforting, to do it joyfully. By charging, to do it carefully. But let's break this down. So Paul, he exhorted. What does it mean to exhort? All right, so this is what we're supposed to do for our children. We're supposed to exhort them. It's to urge earnestly, to advise strongly. To advise strongly. Now, that's great words, right? How do we as dads do that? Don't do that. If you do that, this is going to happen, right? You stick that key in that outlet, and how many of you have seen your children do that? How many of you have done it? I did it. I wish my father had been there to say, if you do that, 
your hair is going to stick up on end for the rest of your life. That's, that's what I blame this on. So to urge strongly, to advise strongly. Paul encouraged these new believers at Thessalonica. This is what a father does with his children. Why? Because children are easily discouraged. They're easily discouraged. See, exhorting is different than correcting. That's different. The new Christian needs someone to encourage them. It's fun. This word exhort, great definition of the word exhort. Everybody ready for this? To call alongside. Your child's trying to do something. They can't do it. Come here. Come here. And you do it together. That's different. It's just different. Dad, I'm having trouble at school. Come here, son. Let's go to the school. Dad, this kid's being a bully. Come here, son. Let's go talk to him. Is that awesome? That's what exhorting is. We're in this together. I'm not telling you to do something that I will not do. I'm taking you with me to do it. That's what discipleship is, isn't it? I'm not telling my disciple to do something. I'm coming alongside my disciple, and I'm doing it with them. That's what a good father does. It does not mean that Paul scolded them. Rather, it means he encouraged them to go on in the Lord. And then I love this, verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted, comforted, comforted. Now, when we think of comforting, that we would, we would, we men, we would generally put that under earlier as a as a mother, as a nurse. But the word comfort here isn't the way that we would understand it. This word, as it's used in the Bible, is to speak to, address one whether by, by way of admonition and incentive or to calm and console. So the way that we comfort is, so the daughter comes home, Dad, I liked that boy and he doesn't like me. Here's how Dad comforts. He's an idiot anyway. I always hated that kid. Am I right? That's how a dad comforts. And then what's the next line? Plenty of fish in the sea. You see how that's comforting? He didn't deserve you anyway. That's, that's comforting. But, but it's more than that. It's to, it's to admonish. So you're comforting the son who has gotten hurt. And sometimes, get up, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. You know that that's comforting? It's not what they want to hear. But you know what it is? Unless their arm's falling off, they're going to be okay. That's comforting. That's a kind of comforting. But there's another part of the comfort, comforting, the admonishing. Well, why did you do that? That's comforting. If you keep this behavior, it's going to keep hurting like the guy that was hitting himself in the head with a stick. Somebody said, why are you doing that? Because it feels so good when I stop. That is not wise. Your son will keep doing the same dumb things that keep hurting him until someone comes along and says, hey, 
Have you noticed that it hurts when you do that? Now, some of you ladies are thinking, why would I have to tell him that? Because they're boys. They're morons. I say that in such love and sensitivity. How many of you guys know that often you're morons? Be honest. Oh, how about this? How many of you know your friends are morons? See? We all know. So the comforting is to encourage and to console. And it's interesting how different this is from our understanding of comfort today. Comforting can be, if you keep doing that, it's going to keep hurting. Where modern comforting it is, oh, you're okay. The world's unfair. The whole world's against you. You think you're a girl? Okay, you can be a girl. But then, this is so fun. Verse 11, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. I had forgotten this. So I've taught through this passage, however many times I've taught through discipleship. But I forgot this, and I wrote it down all the way back in 2002. Listen to this. It's so good. To charge is to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows it because it's being taught by divine revelation or inspiration. So here's what charging is. Okay, son, I've been down this road before. Okay, I've done this. So because I have experienced this, I want you to do this. Right? This doesn't really fit with this point, but I just remembered it. Laura showed me this. A lady got her husband a get better soon card. She said, he's not sick. He just needs to get better soon. (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) This idea of charging, it's so the Bible calls Jesus in the book of Joshua, the captain of our salvation. Again, then in um, the the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. The idea of a captain, it's one who's gone before. When you charge your son, you are charging your son as a man who has experience and authority. And that, and that the charge, what you're asking him to do or commanding him to do, is based on your personal experience. I did that. I did this. So you need to do this. Isn't that such a good way to teach? The other thing that charging does is it raises your son or your daughter. I'm primarily talking about raising sons right now. It raises your son's expectation of himself. The way that you charge your son can... We talk about self-esteem. The best way to give your son self-esteem is by charging him to do something that he does not believe he can do and then exhorting him by coming alongside and helping him do it. When he accomplishes that thing, that that self-worth, that pride, that's so much different than a participation trophy. It's, listen, your son might not be a good athlete. If that's the only place you can give him self-worth, then you're not helping your son, you're hurting your son. Amen? And so, but even in sports, how many of you know you can all do more in sports than you really think you can? 
That's the whole idea of a coach. Men, you can lift more than you think you Well, maybe not anymore. But as a young man, you can lift more than you think you can. With the proper instruction, the proper work, you can do way more than you ever thought that you could do. That's how we're supposed to raise our children. But what is our context? You can do more for the Lord than you ever dreamed you could. Some of you men ought to be preachers of the Word of God. How cool would it be if the next man to stand behind this pulpit is sitting down here or out there? Would that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Somebody needs to tell them, you can do this. But if it's not what God wants for you, don't do it. (laughs) I promise. You don't want this job unless it's the calling of God on your life. And then you won't be happy doing anything else. But the idea of charging is convincing, persuading, challenging your children to do more for the Lord than they ever dreamed they could. We should have more young people going to the mission field. We should have more people giving themselves completely to the Lord. We should have, we should have more of our young men who grow up, graduate, go to college, or they get a, a, a career of some kind where they're working with their hands, who make the commitment, I'm going to be in the Lord's house. I'm going to use my gifts in the Lord's house. I want to be a deacon at Grace Baptist. I want to disciple somebody. I want to be a Sunday school teacher. I want to teach in junior church. I want, I, I want to take all of the undisciplined brats that men in the church don't discipline at home because they're lousy dads, and I want to teach something to them in junior church. You understand that's the description of junior church. Men, this is who we can be. This is my pledge. This is my pledge. I'm going to exhort. I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to comfort. It's okay. It's going to get better. You shouldn't have done that. Let's do better. Comfort. And I'm going to charge. You have no idea what God has for you. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. What? What God has prepared for them who love him. Does God love your kids? You have, you, you can do so much more for the Lord than you thought you could. That's who I'm supposed to be, and that's the pledge. That's the pledge. If we're going to be a good father, we must be able to motivate our children by testifying about what the Lord has done in our lives. I'm going to finish with this. I was working at Bible Baptist in Stillwater, and I would watch Brother Dave give the gospel through our Operation Go plan. And I remember sitting there thinking, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. I remember sitting in Bible college and some preacher would be up there preaching. And even though I was fighting the call to preach, I I would say, "I, I wish I could do that. Do you know what God has done? I can give the gospel the way that Brother Dave did. I can stand up and preach the way that I saw those men do. What did I need? I needed the Holy Spirit. I needed some people to come alongside me and say, you can do this. Brother Dave was gone somewhere. We were in Stillwater. Brother Dave would travel and preach a lot. I took over the evangelism training thing for a session. And my father-in-law was all excited. And he came up to me and he said, you're ready. You're ready. So for what? You can be a pastor. You're ready. And it's like he had seen me do what I had been watching Brother Dave do. And I didn't realize I was doing it that way. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about in your own life? 
And look at what God has done. Now I'm nobody. You know, we don't have a mega church or whatever. But that dream that I had for myself, God has fulfilled that and so far beyond. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. Dads, you guys are... This We don't need to stand up here and tell you guys you're losers because you're not. I'm so glad that these young men get to know you. And yet, how can I see my dreams fulfilled, my fears assuaged? How can I be, be a pattern of labor and a pattern of preaching How can I be what God wants me to be? That personal purity, that personal integrity, that public blamelessness. How can I do that? By keeping that pledge, I'm going to exhort, I'm going to comfort, and I'm going to charge, and I'm going to live a life that demonstrates to my kids that this is real. This is not something that I just put on. This is who I am. That's what we have to do, men. Amen? This is going to sound like I'm just adding something to the end of the message, and I guess I am as far as an outline, but none of this matters if you're not born again. Men, let me just tell you something. If your funeral was here and your casket is right here, we're at the funeral home and your casket is right here, you're lying in that casket, and your children walk by that casket, are they going to know where you are? What is the cruelest thing you can do to your family? You imagine? And some of you, your, your, your dad's gone and you don't know where he is. Don't do that to your kids. Are you born again? Do your children know it? If you're born again, some of you men are so full of pride, you won't talk about your repentance to your children. Your children need to hear that you've repented and that you are saved. They need to hear that coming out of your mouth. But you can't do that if you're not. Are you born again today? Have you placed your faith and trust? If you're not, let today be the day of your salvation. And the rest of us, let's let's everybody stand. The rest of us men, let's tell our kids, just have a conversation with them. I want you to know, I'm born again. I want you to know, I'm going to heaven. When I die, You don't have any doubt. You don't need to have any doubt about where I am. Wouldn't that be a good thing to know about your dad? Wouldn't that be a good thing for your kids to know about you? Amen. Amen. Lord, I love you. You are a better father than any of us could ever be. And Lord, you love us more than any of our earthly fathers could ever love us.